Congratulations to Kevin Hammer for winning the Roger Hines Dreamfish. His name was selected randomly amongst our loyal supporters on June 1st. Our network of podcasts is listener supported. It's only five bucks a month. And as a thank you, we do these surfboard giveaways. It's usually six times a year. So one every other month. But guess what? I've already got another one for you. Two months in a row. Britt Merrick handshaped me a two happy about four months ago. And the team at Channel Islands wants to give one to you. The two boards that we gave away most recently were both twin fins. They were alternative short boards. So we figured it was kind of time for a pointy thruster. But given that I am nearing 40 years old and I am 15 pounds overweight, the two happy meets me right where I'm at. The board is based on the happy model, but with a couple of subtle adjustments that make it more user-friendly for a broader range of surfers and conditions. So this is kind of your everyman's shortboard and it will become your go-to shortboard. I'm keeping mine, the one that Britt shaped me because uh, Britt shaped it for me and because my name is on it. But we will get the winner, a brand new Too Happy from Channel Islands in uh, stock dimensions, essentially. It won't be a custom, but if you go to their website right now, you can open up the drop-down menu um, on that board and pick any length from four foot six to eight feet in length, inch by inch, actually. So the lucky winner can kind of pick the best fitting board, and we will have that sent to you. And I have much more to say about the Too Happy as a model. I'll give you all that info throughout the month. But anyone who supports this podcast through the month of June will be entered to win it. So even if you haven't supported in the past, you can still get in on this. You can get in on this right now on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Just navigate over to support the show. It takes only a minute to set up and it keeps us in business. So thank you for that. On to today's show. Pat O'Connell probably needs no introduction. He's remained a prominent figure in the surf world for 27 years now, if you can believe that. But I think that this conversation um, would benefit from some context. So Pat's big debut was in 1994, of course, in Bruce Brown's Endless Summer 2. He was one of the two surfers featured on that journey. And while he was garnering some good results at local pro contests through the early 90s, What really earned him the role in that film was his charisma. He is so dang charming, magnanimous, and really just fun to be around. Those are things that aren't really coveted assets in competitive surfing, but his talent was absolutely undeniable, and he qualified for the championship tour in 1995, where he would remain duking it out for the next nine years. His main sponsor while he was on tour was Hurley, founded in 1998, but had recently been purchased by Nike in 2002. After that acquisition, the founder and close friend to Pat, Bob Hurley, was left in place to run the organization. So when Pat retired from pro surfing in 2004, Bob courted Pat to help him run the sports marketing division. Hurley would, of course, rise over the next decade to become one of the most recognizable and respected brands in all of surfing. 
They'd also develop, arguably, the largest and most visible team of athletes with a heavy investment in female youth and actually just youth in general. So the youngest and brightest surfers, Carissa Moore, Chloe Andino, Julian Wilson, they were all courted and brought over to Hurley. And in 2013, with a record-setting contract, John John Florence joined the team. He had just finished his rookie year on tour. At the age of 19, he won the Vans World Cup at Sunset, the Volcom Pipe Pro, the Dahui Backdoor Shootout, and the Triple Crown. He seemed to do something that so many young surf stars don't. He was fulfilling the expectations that the entire surf world had set for him since he was six years old, which, by the way, was when another surf brand, O'Neill, began their investment in John and their support of him. And that's really what made this sponsor shift so seismic, was that Hurley was able to interrupt that relationship. Hurley was serious about not only being ubiquitous in surfing, but also about having world champs. And that was a lesson that we learned then, and I think we've learned repeatedly by now, is that these brand-athlete partnerships are rarely ever lifelong. Successful partnerships can actually be measured in years, rarely ever decades, in December 2019, Nike sold Hurley to a brand management company, Blue Star Alliance, and Blue Star cut ties with founder Bob Hurley and also his staff that helped grow the brand, as well as nearly all of their athletes. So John John's contract was through 2024, but negotiations were made and the relationship was ended. And back to Pat O'Connell, he must have seen the writing on the wall at Hurley because in February 2019, after 15 years of wild success at Hurley, he left the company to join the World Surf League as the SVP of Tours and Head of Competition, where, of course, John John Florence was a marquee athlete and a two-time world champ. Meanwhile, during the year of isolation and quarantine, the Hurley family regrouped. With decades of experience running a surf brand and without any of the corporate constraints or even the constraints of an actual work day, a work schedule, they formed a brand new company. John had been thinking outside of the corporate box and the obligations that that entails. He had been sailing the Pacific and surfing endlessly at home through 2020 in Hawaii. He had been focusing on product Spending a full year in the elements put a new emphasis on the technical gear that John was wearing and using, and so Florence Marine X was born. John as the namesake and the product developer, former Hurley staffers behind the scenes in Southern California, and with products in development and a launch date in sight, all that they needed was a man at the helm. And that is the impetus for today's show. Pat O'Connell spent 2019 running the tour for the WSL, then spent 2020 not running a tour, and was positioned with a thankless task of attempting to reconvene the world tour through an endlessly morphing pandemic in 2021. So in March, the announcement was made that Pat would be leaving his position at the WSL. He would be replaced by Jesse Miley Dyer, and the band would be getting back together with Pat in the role of president at Florence Marine X. So it's a ripe time for change in surfing in all facets. And I was thrilled to hear from Pat himself about what that means for a surf brand. And also I was curious to hear about his experience at the WSL. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Pat O'Connell. 
Because my feet never touch the ground anyways. <laughs> <laughs> what do you attribute your flex? We're, we're live. I'll give you an introduction in post, but uh, yeah. what do you attribute your flexibility to? Uh, I'm a midget. <laughs> do midgets have better flexibility? I think so, because I I, when someone asks me to touch my toes, they're not that far away. I can always touch my toes. <laughs> God, I've never been able to touch my toes. Yeah, see, some people... I'm jealous. I was really... Uh, Kern Caples, uh, one day he got hurt, and I brought him to see Tim Brown, and he's like, can you touch your toes? And Kern, best skateboarder in the world, couldn't touch his toes. Really? But he was also sprouting. He was yeah, like... Yeah you know, getting taller and yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Being young. That's fun. That helps. Yeah. It definitely helps with flexibility. Um, well, since we're on the subject, let's start with an injury update. Yeah. How was your, uh, stingray laceration? My stingray is <laughs> okay, but geez, they, um, they pack a punch. No kidding. Yeah. Have you ever been stung? I have. It's been years though. Yeah. I'm surprised that more people don't now that I got hit. I'm like, I think they're everywhere. Um, and when I got hit, it was really obvious. It was super stupid. It was like flat, uh, really low tide at Doheny. And we were on this little sandbar, and I was pushing my son and his friend into waves. Um, and it was like kind of the like classic stingray environment. Yep. And I was just too stupid. And I just like, I, I felt like, you know, I, th I thought I stepped on glass at first. Yep. And then I felt the thing move, and it really, then it like, Cause I didn't, I kind of pulled my foot away, but it's almost like I felt like I stepped on glass and I kind of like, was like, what did I step on? And then it went wham. And, uh, you know, it was just funny cause I had kids in the water and I knew if I freaked him out, yeah, then the surfing experience is over. I'm like, okay guys, time to go in. And they're like, oh, we want to catch more. I'm like, let's just go in for a little bit. Let's get out of the sun. And then, you know, there's a trail of blood and it was like squirting. I was like, oh man. How painful was it? It, it super painful at moments, but it was more of like, once I realized like a, f a friend of mine, it actually went through his Achilles. Yeah. Oh, and dang. he had to have surgery and all this stuff. And once I realized that it, the barb wasn't in there and yeah. I was like, I'm fine. It's just going to be a little bit painful for an hour or two. Um, Last time I got stung was probably five years ago now. And it was the same thing. My nephews were with me, pushing them in. And uh, I did the opposite of you. I fully freaked out. And the kids are just like panicked. Still haven't been back in the water Totally, since. <laughs> totally traumatized. And what was even funnier is like, I'm their uncle. They probably saw me catch some waves. They thought I was cool. They thought I was like there. you started screaming. And then I'm screaming and then I'm seething, like driving to the lifeguard tower, just like, like I couldn't control the pain, right? Then we get into the lifeguard station and there's a little girl, like a 10-year-old girl soaking her foot in a bucket. And she's like, yeah, totally it's not that fun. bad. And I'm just like seething and my, my nephews are looking at me just like, dude, you're such a wimp. We, you were our hero yeah. 20 minutes ago. Now you, you just fell from yeah, grace. Exactly. And ultimately what I've learned and just from talking to different people, people different ways. It, well, they inject different amounts of venom too, or yeah. poison or whatever, uh, depending on which size of stingray and how good they get you and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it could be insignificant or it could be. Or she's that. just a lot tougher than you. It's There's that totally too. cool. Totally <laughs> fine. Not only are children more flexible, yeah. their pain threshold is way higher. Way too. higher. Um, but the, the yeah. water, the hot water neutralizes the protein that's in the venom. Stops it. It's, it's key. If you didn't have hot water, it'd be a nightmare. 
uh, had a lot of people offering to pee on it. Exactly. Yeah, that's that an doesn't always do anything. Ongoing joke. Yeah, it's warm. The warm probably helps momentarily. Momentarily, you'd have to have, be soaking your foot in piss. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, everybody, fill up a bucket. <laughs> I yeah, I had a lot of people offering. That's funny. Um, seriously though, let's get an injury update. <laughs> yeah, Pat I, on uh, John. Yeah, I think um, I think he's doing great. I mean, he is the most sort of focused person I've ever like sadly he's been through this a few times yeah um and so he he knows how to put his energy into healing he's he's become really really smart about uh, I was joking the other day with him I'm like you know you could be a doctor at this like you could you could pass the class you know certainly um he's been through this he understands it and um you know again for better for worse he has a great team around him because he's been through this um, and so every day he's going to see different people, he's doing therapy and I mean, he really is putting every ounce of attention on it. It's pretty rad. Um, so I don't deny that. I'm wondering, has he stated what the injury actually is and what the prognosis is? I don't feel like he has. Yeah. He said he put up on his Instagram the other day, he had an ACL tear. Got it. Um, and so they had a, um, I'm not a doctor, so I will completely mess this up, but, um, they repaired it, um, and, uh, you know, I'd have to refer back to them how they did it. But it sounds like it wasn't a full reconstruction. Um, and I'm only taking the, the cliff notes from what they've told me. Um, obviously, I didn't do it. Um, but it sounds like he still has a chance. You know, it's a, I won't even say an outside chance for the Olympics. I mean, uh, <laughs> we went sailing the other day. Um, I'm taking sailing lessons, which is something I've always wanted to do. And so John and Lauren came on their way back, and uh, it, I'm laughing because every day it's been windy, and the one day it wasn't windy was the day we went sailing. Um, but you know he can he can bend his knee. He he's walking out. He's not using a crutch. He can literally go to 90 degrees. You know he's he's making a lot of progress. Um, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. It sounds painful. Yeah. Um, but. He seemed to be in pretty good spirits, you know, overall. I mean, again, he's been through this and, you know, I, I just, I do really feel for him and Kolohe uh, specifically just, you, they put a lot of time and energy to go to the Olympics and um, I want them to go, you know, and not even like uh, there's all this stuff about Kelly going, which would be great too. Like, no, it's just, it's a neat opportunity. Um, Kelly should go whether he's on the team or not, or he's competing. But, um, you know, yeah, it's you, you put your time and energy into this goal. It would be a pity if um, if you didn't go because of an injury like this. Completely. Yeah. They earned the spot. They earned the spot, you know. And, and it's not even just like, you know, you think about it. Um, it's not even just the year that leads up to it. It's the years of competition and time and dedication you know, um, that's, that's just kind of it. And I, it doesn't sound like the Olympics are going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a challenge. Um, but certainly the camaraderie and, you know, in 20 years, whatever, looking back and yeah. going, I went to the first Olympics would be super cool. So I am knocking on wood. I hope, um, everything goes accordingly. And he's riding one of those Pizel dark arts and two foot Chiba. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully better than two foot. Yeah, but yeah. All right, cool. Well, um, I guess we're taking it day by day. Yeah. Um, 
do these chairs have like little feathers? They're like sticking in my back. So I'm are they not, really? Yeah, it's it. I'm totally fine. But okay. if you notice me like twitching here, got it. Got I'm trying it, got to find it. the comfortable spot. This chair is featherless, or I haven't noticed it. Anyways, we're wearing the same shirt, so we you would are. think yes. you would think we would feel the yes. same thing. Can you tilt your mic just a turn to the uh, to Towards your me? right? That's perfect. Yep. Right there is fine. Cool. Um, all right. So speaking of shirts, let's. Do some talk on Florence Marine X. Yes. I don't want to focus all of our conversation nope. on it, but really it's what people want to know about, to be honest. I would love to hear that. Congrats on the job. Thank you. Yeah. President. Been, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, you, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you worked in marketing for Hurley. You yep. worked as the senior vice president of tours. Sports, sports more. Oh, yep. And then I worked at for WSL. The WSL. Yep. So president is a different title. I would imagine um, it's, it's a bigger title. It's a different role. Yeah, it's a different role. A lot of the same skill set. Like, I mean, um, look, we're really fortunate because the people that um, that I'm working with, it's a lot of the same people I worked with before. Um, everybody is really, really talented at what they do, uh, which is great. Um, and it's kind of all the same. Like, uh, certainly I'm learning new things about, like, timelines, production schedules, things like that. But they're not, um, it's not rocket scientists, okay. science, you know, where it's just like, hey, you got to get this done by this time. So it ships on the right time. Um, but we certainly aren't looking to do things exactly like we used to, which is kind of the fun. It's like, it's all sort of new. Um, and what we're trying to do is kind of, I would almost say approach it backwards and just go, hey, what do people actually need? Let's think about that and not just hey, we used to do this in the past, so this is what we need to do. So I would say that there's sort of no better time to actually start that process than what we're doing now, uh, than what's happening now. Um, you know, a lot of these, uh, and I'll just say from past experience, you get into this cycle and it's like, hey, we need to fill these 20 spots. And so you just kind of keep going. You're like, well, why, do you, why are we making those products? Well, we have 20 spots to fill we're trying to approach it different and like, and just be very um, purposeful in why we want to make a jacket that is great for sailing, or it's going to be the one that you roll up and put in your board bag, or it's going to be the one that you're walking down the street and you just have to have. And we're going to like obsess and take time on that. Um, rather than like, Hey, shoot, we need to make this, put this jacket out. It needs to cost 15 bucks um, because that's what we think an account will pay for it. Um, it's just a different behavior. And um, so it's a lot of fun and it's, it's challenging though, because we have to challenge ourselves to also start a new process and, and look at it, um, you know, and, and not fall back into those same behaviors. Right. Which is the challenge. Um, do you have any anxieties or fears about the uh, weight of the role of president? Um, I, my only anxiety is like, Hey, I'm a, like such a big fan of John. Like I, I, you know, I've known John since he was probably six or seven years old. Um, I just really like, it's, it's his name. And it's like, you know, every day I think we all have the passion to make it like happen. The, the job title, to be honest with you is we're a small company. If this was like Apple, <laughs> you know, we're all sort of in the trenches. We all sit at a table together and we make decisions, you know, and everybody has their things they're doing. Um, I don't really look at it. I, I've never really looked at that kind of stuff. More like, 
hey, we have a great opportunity. Um, people have responded very positive um, to what we're doing. And so I kind of go in every day pretty pumped and you just sort of, yeah, focus. Um, there was nobody in the position before you took it. So yes. obviously the company and product hadn't been released and all that sort of stuff. But what is their expectation for you in the job title? Um, I think just to contribute. And I, uh, again, is the group that we, that we have, everybody's very, very good at what they, uh, what they're there for. Um, and so, um, I mean, I, I like, I honestly, we, it's, it's pretty fun. So our office is right on coast highway in Newport. Um, we surf together. Um, when we're done, we all sit, we have a table that sits outside the office and there's about, you know, eight, 10 of us, and we all have lunch together every day. We don't do it because we have to. Yeah. We do it because we like to, and everybody kind of likes to hang out together, and whether we're talking about work or not, like, we kind of, you know, the there's no sort of iron fist in, like, hey, you have to do this. Um, there certainly isn't a barcode that you're checking in and out of to get to work. It's there's a responsibility to just go, Hey, let's get this done. We, we have an opportunity, um, to do something that is super different. You know, we, we kind of in some ways can do what we want, right? Which is really interesting. We don't have 20 spots on a wall that we have to figure out. We just need to make great product that people are going to be stoked on. It's, I think it's an amazing time for surfing. Yeah. Um, like I feel that way about what we're doing with the podcast. It's there would have never been an inroad for us 10 and 15 years ago, you know, but through technology and the democratization of that yep. and direct access to the audience and all that. But meanwhile, there's been an upending of the legacy brands as well, both for media and clothing. Now there's all these creatives kind of just creating. And there's also a bunch of wayward talent, which is perfect for you guys. Yeah. You know, the disbanding of Hurley essentially leaves very talented, um, experienced people available. And I'm sure some of them go and work for big companies that are not in the surf brand, but it also allows for this opportunity for these kind of things to take all of that experience and yeah, and do it efficiently, smarter, cleaner, yeah. all that stuff. I think the other thing that I've noticed, um, we've been sort of going to see shops and doing road trips. Yeah. Um, I've heard this a few times um, that if you're a hard goods rep right now, you're really busy. And you used to be sort of like the guy like, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so's here. You know, go look at the futures box or the, f yeah, whatever, whatever. Right. But when you come in, you're a rock star right now. And you know, the, we've all experienced it. The lineup is more, uh, more busy. Um, I was up at Timmy Patterson's right now. Their business is rocking. Um, Italo was in town, super neat. Um, but just it's a, it, the excitement and energy about, you know, ab about participating in the sport, but not even just the sport, just the, like getting out there and surfing. I mean, we're sitting here today in, you know, these beautiful surfboards all around us um, everybody just wants to, I mean, I, I don't want to sound cheesy, but just get out there and like do, they're doing things. Um, and I think it was already like, I think the pandemic had 
basically taken things that would have taken three to five years to happen, and it just made it happen in an instant. Totally. And this transformation from just going, hey, yeah, kids are still looking at their phones and stuff like that, and they're still playing baseball and soccer. They're not stopping those sports and those behaviors, but they are engaging in being in the ocean and around friends in a different way. Um, and it's not just kids. It's it's sort of across the board totally. um, is what we've seen. And so um, it is really a fun time. How was the brand conceived of and whose concept was it? Was it entirely John John's or? Uh, there's a pretty funny story, actually. Um, not um, So as the brand was coming and taking shape, um, they, you know, um, Bob Hurley and his sons, uh, Jeff Ryan, and then Chance King, who is married to um, uh, Bob's daughter, Rachel, they were the f- sort of founding group. Um, they started this sort of company, Kandui, which is now Simple and Florence. Um, and uh, there's just been a great relationship amongst through the time with the family and, and, um, and with John. And, you know, when the Hurley thing ended, the boys left to go do, you know, they saw the writing on the wall. They're like, hey, let's go do something different. Um, and they ha- they've had some really interesting just ideas and super smart, super smart guys. Um, but as John started to engage, it was like, okay, John, we're going to put you to work. And he's like, okay, um, you're going to write the mission statement. And so John spit it out like two seconds. And, you know, it's about exploring and doing it sustain- uh, responsibly, you know, um, and making products that, you know, you believe in. And it was like this beautiful thing that he wrote in two seconds. And every time someone asked me, they like, how long did that take? And I'm like, well, John's always talked about that. You know, um, the way that he lives his life, his focus every day is about doing rad things in the ocean and, and, you know, being outside and engaging. This is actually him. This isn't like a, you know, and I know, like everybody has their sort of marketing line. Sure. You know, um, but sort of for us, it's pretty interesting if like, hey, if we can actually solve for things that John's doing, we actually are going to make amazing product and people want that. And so that's kind of how it started to come around and, you know, reflecting. And, and I, I think the thing that um, I'm always sort of careful about, I don't want to throw any, like, shade at any of the brands or any of those things because they've done a fantastic job. They run great businesses. There's no sort of negativity there. But as we think about what we want to do, it isn't like we're running away from that. We just see a huge opportunity to actually really address those issues and not just sort of the 20 SKUs that are supposed to be on the wall. Um, and that sort of was the genesis. And I think that's what got John the most excited. Um, John is a really, really smart, um, passionate person. And if I gave him a crappy product and said, hey, you have to wear it, it was really hard. And he wasn't one to, like, he's not a he's not mean, but you could tell, like, hey, I'm not super stoked to wear this, right? Um, that's why, like, when we started the board short that he won at the Pipe Masters, that's our first, that was the first product. That was the first thing that that the company did was make um, a board short that John wanted. And, um, you know, that right now, when you actually physically hold that board short, you're like, okay, I get it. This is, this is a real product. 
Um, and it's something that I've, you know, again, when I've gone around and I hand people, it's like, you know, it's funny. John said to us, he says, hey, what's your dream board short? He's like, I don't want a stretchy board short. And we're like, crap. Yeah. <laughs> what do you need mean? some stretch. We're like, you don't want a stretchy board short. You, what do you want? And so we're like, okay, why don't you go and, you know, grab a, you know, your favorite short. And he grabbed it and it was stretchy. Uh, but what he equated to stretchy is what ends up happening over time is you start to use thinner, thinner, wafier materials until you get to a short that actually just feels like it, it feels like nothing. Um, and then they ultimately fall apart. And so the goal from the team was to build something that actually had a little bit of durability um, that wasn't going to fall apart. And that was kind of the focus was like, you know, let's make that. So when you feel the short now, there's some weight to it. It actually feels like a product. And um, yeah, so it's been cool. You um, are talking about doing things differently. Yeah. And I, we will talk about how you're doing things differently, um, kind of ethically. But what does it look like? Who's your tar target demographic? Is it just surfers? Is it sailors? Like, how are you doing? What need are you providing for the marketplace differently? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, um, through time, you know, we will evolve. And I think ultimately, we don't necessarily look at like, hey, we're trying to target the 16-year-old kid from, you know, because that's a typical brand behavior. Um, we're actually just trying to make product that um, allows people to get outside and like just do things, right? But it isn't, you know, definitely we are making stuff around the water. Um, but certainly a lot of these products can be used anywhere. And, um, you know, I think it's easier for me to think about like, hey, we're probably not going to be making 50 pairs of pants and jeans and things like that, right? We're going to be more focused on stuff that, um, you know, is inspiring people to, hey, wake up and go for a hike. You know, we're going to make that. We're going to say, hey, if you want, you can go swim in that same product. You know, uh, be in the water for longer. If you think about one of the products that um, has been the most talked about is the hooded rash guard. And that's specifically a John request says, hey, you know, I'm a blonde haired guy you know, you know, living in Hawaii and I keep going in, the waves are fun because I'm sunburned. And so he just, he wanted something that he can just pull over his head. He's waiting for a wave, a wave comes, he flips it back, he paddles back out, you know? Um, so just little things like that. And, um, with John's insight and his focus, it kind of opens up that sort of like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's kind of, how we're going to look at it different. I've seen fishing versions of that yeah. product, but I don't know that I've seen one specific to surf. Well, when you actually scratch the surface, there's a lot of people who do, there's a lot of great brands out there that are doing things. You just don't necessarily see them in the surf space yeah. or at least. And, and I, I think also like the obvious um, place to start is, you know, in where we fit today is maybe in surf, but as we, sort of broaden our, our um, line uh, and look at different products. You know, we've already had a lot of people looking at the hooded rash guard or the surf. Uh, we're making like a sun shirt with a hood as well. Um, great for fishing, you know, and, and even speaking to some accounts, they're like, hey, this is going to make a lot of sense because 
not only surfers shop in these counts, like a lot of fishermen and a lot of people will come to our website uh, that have literally nothing to do with surfing. Yeah. You know, um, and it would be interesting to see how they use those products. Yeah, yeah. completely. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at Patagonia as an example, you know, it's like they certainly designed for a very specific thing initially and the credibility of doing that then made, it was appealing to all the weekend warriors as well who weren't actually doing the thing. So yeah, that's, similar. That's how, I mean, I think Patagonia started as a, like more of a climbing brand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like next thing you know, the down, it's like allows you to do some of the other stuff. Yeah, exactly. Everybody wants to be the climber, but they're not actually out there on the rocks. You That's know, right. Um, so I think there's an obvious value to the brand's association with John. Certainly right now, he's at the zenith of his career. Um, how does that bode for the long-term viability of the company? That super tight association with one athlete. And... Um, I can't think of another brand who's done that successfully. I mean, Hurley was named after Bob, but Bob yeah. wasn't the athlete and it wasn't tied to his identity so much. It's just that the name worked and he was successful and all that. But is there a concern with this? No, uh, it's a great question. Um, I will give you a really good example of one that did work. Uh, the Jordan brand. Um, Michael Jordan is not the face, it is the face of the brand, but there are a million great athletes and great products that that brand has made since Michael Jordan stopped wearing the shoes. Um, I'm not saying that's the exact model, um, but uh, certainly there is a, a, a space for that. I also think uh, the important thing to think about as the brand evolves um, and John evolves over time, I've been very, like, we, we all have. Like, we don't want this to be a quote-unquote fan brand where it's like right. um, we're stressing out about every heat that John has. Exactly. This is a journey, you know, and, like, you, you've, I'm sure we've all heard this a million times, but um, this is it's a marathon. It's not a race. And so, like, if we were trying to capitalize on John's competitive stuff, it would be a race and we'd be on this hamster wheel every day and we'd be probably making products that would be really different than what jerseys or something. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly where I was going. Is that like, you know, we'd put a bunch of 12 gear out into the world and we would say, Hey, that's, this is a Florence brand and we're going to cash in and we may make a couple bucks for the next few years. And then, you know, John would make some money and we'd sail off into the sunset. Um, this is a long-term operation and um, where this brand goes uh, is going to be connected to John, but is inspired by him. And the opportunity for us to get into different walks of life and, and um, passions is huge. And John's passion isn't just surfing. Sure. I mean, that's the thing. It's why it's, it's so great is that, you know, um, he wakes up in the morning, he looks outside, and he's like, okay, what is it a good day for? Um, that behavior, I think, is more typical of people today than it ever has been um people are waking up and they want to they want to explore they want to you know do these things you don't all have to ride a you know a six foot thruster and you may appreciate john for his ability to surf well 
but there's a lot more people that are going to be inspired by that behavior of getting out and wanting to, you know, what would it be like to go sail around the world? What would it be like to, you know, whatever it may be? Um, and I think that idea, it, that genesis is much bigger than any sort of, like, you know, heat at trestles. Totally. I agree. Um, you touched on it a little bit, but maybe go into it more. What were the problems that you identified in the clothing business at Hurley? And either, you know, from a bloated product line or just ethically from running a big business like that? And how are you doing things differently? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't want to, there's no, like, I, I don't want to point at anything that people are doing bad. I can say for us what we're going to do different. We're able to make decisions. Things aren't handed to us where we're like, you know, hey, we've always done it this way. This is why we're doing it. We're actually starting at, at, at zero. So um, the T-shirt that you're wearing is um, from a company in Spain. It's called Recover, Recover Text. Um, all those T-shirts are made from actually uh, the scraps of T-shirts that hit the ground at a mill. They regrind, they make thread, and it's that's a new T-shirt from basically stuff that was going to be thrown away. We're not making 200,000 t-shirts a year. We're making far less than that. Um, and so we're able to be able to be a little bit more insightful about what we want to use, um, how we want to use it. And we're actually starting at scratch. Um, and so um, we can decide to make, well, I think good business decisions are the same as, you know, uh, being conscious and responsible. Um but you don't have to do one or the other. And again, is people think like, and, and I think uh, this is both a blessing and a curse, is like because John is John and we have, you know, the boys at Hurley and Bob, this background, it's like, oh, they're just going to, you know, it's where I think that's our benefit is we're able to actually make decisions and start at scratch. Um, and when I say we're doing things different, um, we're intentionally just trying not to, well, trying not to fall back into the old stuff, but actually just like even our distribution. We started our our business off online by creating a membership program. And to actually buy product in the beginning, you actually had to become a member. You had to pay to become a member. I'm not sure many brands have started that way. Maybe they have. Not many in the surf industry for sure because, again, this is the way, you know, they've been a, around for a lot longer. Um, it was very intentional on our side because we actually think there's huge value in, in creating these members. And we, you know, ultimately for us, like this is the beginning of something that we really want to, as this rolls over, we're going to deliver for our members, you know. And again, just a, 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 as you started, you know, the, the, the first yard line, you can decide to do sort of whatever you want. And we're going to be very um, particular about those decisions that we make. I'd like you to explain the membership model. Um, it seems like another way to say, get on our mailing list. Uh, yeah. Because even, even the $25 fee goes directly to the, to your, to the purchase of the product. Like you'll deduct the 25 bucks off the shopping cart. Yeah. So it actually didn't cost anything but it's a way for you 
to certainly capture email addresses, which you would capture through the transaction anyways. Yeah. So I didn't feel like it was nefarious in any way. I just thought it was a clever spin on join the mailing list and we'll send you some videos of John and stuff like that. Is there any added value to the membership or what's the concept of the membership? Yeah, that, well, okay, so there's a couple things. So, um, yeah, there's no nefarious. Um, of course, yeah. But uh, the idea was sort of, to create something that there's a bit of a community and there is value that you have walked across this line. Um, and what you get on the other side is you get, uh, basically it's like a mileage bank where you, you, you know, every time you buy something, it goes into this and you get that back in product. Um, but we also wanted to create a little bit more of a one-to-one. -one. And so what we did is, you know, John, John is a content machine. And so John is building content all the time. Um, and I remember this at Hurley. John did like a backflip at Margaret River one day. Mm -hmm. He did this crazy thing. After they called off the event, I think. That was it. Peter King got it. And I, I remember going in my mind, we had been talking about this, uh, you know, about a way to really serve up these amazing moments in a more personal sort of way. And um, so we had talked about this idea of creating a membership. And so... You know, um, we are doing that now with Florence. And so um, uh, last week, John, had he did a 10-minute edit from Australia that all our members can see on our site. Um, you have to be a member to watch it. Um, that's one of a bunch of things that we'll do. Um, we're also going to release uh, member-exclusive products. So only member will be able to buy certain pieces. Um, Right now, we're looking at um, new products that are coming out that we're going to keep behind membership for a period of time and at some point open them up. Uh, we've also talked about, you know, experiences, doing something really, really fun and cool where, um, you know, hey, uh, you know, let's just say there's, uh, it, let's say John's at Trestles and he's competing for the world title. Well, we may just you know, take all of our members and have a special experience and that they can be a part of. Um, there's, there literally is so many ideas that we come up all day with new, new things. But becoming a member of this brand and participating in this sort of day-to-day -day is really, really important. Um, you know, and, and I think that's kind of what we're trying to do is, is create really a one-to-one -one relationship with those people. We don't Sure, we'd like to have hundreds of thousands. We like it as, you know, as this grows, it feels organic, it feels right. We're not just trying to make so much product and just shove it out there. Um, and it, it does feel like a little bit of a community. I think it's really smart. I think it's well-conceived. And um, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also a little bit forward-thinking too because a problem that I think a lot of people are running into content creators or people in John John's situation is you're using other people's platforms all the time. And so it'd be better just to get everybody or all my fans on my platform and have the one-on-one -on -one, of course. Yeah. But the problem with using everybody else's platforms is not only do they own the content or, you know, it's now public content. They own the relationship. And they all have their own different, um, like you can't post the same video on YouTube that you post on TikTok. TikTok has its own like little uh, culture 
And so you want to make it specific to TikTok. Oh, right. And then Instagram has its own little culture. And Twitter, you know what? Work the text differently because Twitter, you have to have a different zing there. And so if you're really catering to all those platforms, it's five times the amount of work, mm -hmm. you know? And what people don't do the work. So then they do just upload the same exact video everywhere. Some places it takes off, other places it dies. And, you, and so then you're like, oh, no, I'm really good at the algorithm on YouTube. So I'm really going to focus energy there if I'm Ben Gravy or whoever. And that's great. And they figured out how to do that. But what if it changes? What if the algorithm changes? What if the culture changes? Right. Where the way you guys are doing it, it's like we own the platform and we have the one-on-one -on -one thing is really what people want anyways. That's what they're hoping to get out of YouTube. Yeah. That's what they're hoping to get out of Instagram. And you've already done it. So I think it's... It's still changing. early days. But yes, it's been fun so far. And it's been really positive. Um, Does the membership, uh, is there a renewal fee? Yep. It's a one-time cost... 20 bucks. You're in the club. Forever. The society. The society. Yes. The one kickback I've seen about the brand on the internet was the pricing of the wetsuits. Would we, you like to address this? Yeah. I honestly thought it was going to be way worse. It was the, you know, um, so we, we got into wetsuits um, because we want to make them. John, you know, um, uh, he's in a wetsuit a lot. Um, but we use Japanese manufacturing, Japanese materials, and they're so expensive. And, um, why, you know, each one of them's handmade. So it's not like they don't just put, um, you know, 50 sheets of neoprene and do the cut and then sort of stick things together. Every wetsuit is handmade. Um, they're just expensive. And you know, the, the jacket is 250 bucks and, um, our cost for that wetsuit, to be honest, is not much less than that. We don't make any money on the jacket. Um, but we're doing it because ultimately it's a great product. And this is where it's kind of a funny one is that we could definitely go make a cheaper jacket. We can go to the, you know, this, the, the thing in the surf industry, a lot of wetsuits are all made from the same factory. Um, we could easily go and make that. I'm not sure that makes a whole lot of sense. We're not trying to make a bunch of money out of wetsuits. I can just tell you that's not our goal. We'd, we're not in to take O'Neill's market share. Um, we want to make wetsuits because we think it's an important part of, you know, our portfolio of product. But it's not like our, like, we don't go to sleep every night going, hey, how are we going to take O'Neill's market share? That's not it at all. Our wetsuit top and all of our wetsuits, it's kind of a point of difference. If you look at the price of the rest of our product, we're pretty in line, maybe a little bit higher because we're, we're doing some nicer products, but, um, the wetsuit is the thing that sort of stands out there, but that's really what the cost is. Yeah. Like, so it's, you know, there's really nothing to hide behind and it's kind of like, you know, Hey, do we want to make a cheaper wetsuit? I'm not sure we do, to be honest. I, I don't think that, um, you know, I think, the other thing we've we've realized is when we go out and we meet with either surfers, people, whoever buys wetsuits, or these shops, they don't need another $250 wetsuit. They've got 10 brands that are actually doing that for them. There's nothing for us to gain. And, and we kind of look at it as like, hey, John, do you like your wetsuit jacket? He's like, dude, this is the best jacket I've ever had. Okay, cool. Next. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, 
it's probably not the most popular thing to say. Like some of these people, like I've seen the comments, um, but it's okay. You don't have to buy the jacket. I totally get it. Um, it's an amazing product. And, and the one thing, so I would say is that we also realize at least at some level of responsibility, like, Hey, you buy these products. I'm still wearing Japanese wetsuits from three years ago. They last. They're really, really good. Um, you know, and you start to think about it. You're like, gosh, you know what? Hey, if I actually buy this wetsuit that's actually warmer and more comfortable, I actually may get to use it for two or three years. Maybe that's a better idea than kind of going and buying the one that's disposable. Again, it's a big purchase. That's that's totally up to, to each person, but... Um, that's kind of the the thinking anyways. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if you're making them for John already and he wants the best, then you might as well it's kind make of a hard. few others. Once he started wearing them, he's like, uh, yeah, I want more of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, explain the name. Um, so I can explain it better be if John or Jeff or, sure. you know, those guys did. But I think the initial idea was like, hey, is it... Um, is it Florence? Is it, you know, and I think there was initial run of like, hey, can we get that uh, trademarked? Um, takes a long time. That's probably going to be pretty hard. You know, there's a city Florence. Um, there's also a shoe brand called Florence. That I didn't is, know that. Yep, that's made out of Asia. Um, so, you know, uh, it sets our intent. What we want to do is we want to broaden. We want to make products that are feel great in the water and around the water. Um and so I think it was more of a qualificate, like a, a defining piece yeah. is Marine X. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of how it came to get together. And the X is exploration? Exploration. Got it's it. It's not like X Games. <laughs> Expedition, maybe? Yeah. Um, I do want to cover a couple of questions about your former employer. Yes. <laughs> I figured. You can, dis- you can decline that's to fine. respond yeah. to any. Yes. And we can even edit if okay. need be. Yep. Um, I know they're an easy target, obviously, and a lot of their good yeah. work doesn't go acknowledged. It goes unacknowledged, yeah. and then their hiccups get endless ridicule. Of course. I don't feel a need to pile on to any of those. Um, and also, any of my criticisms are also from a place, a strong desire of wanting the organization to, to succeed, yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. you know, I think that goes without saying as well. Um, what's the goal? of the organization, of the WSL. Ooh. From your time there, what was your experience? What do you think their goal is? Wow. Um, I think they have a pretty pure goal, to be honest. Um, I didn't see, you know, in my time there, there was nothing like that was shocking or scary or nothing like that. Um, I think people probably have this, um, I think they have this sort of, warped sense of what it should be and what it is. Um, you know, I think uh, I'm pretty tight with Dave Broden um, and Eric still as well. Um, you know, uh, both are very passionate. Uh, certainly Dave has been there for a long time um, and is really passionate about best waves, best surfers, and th- that the tour is at the center of everything. Um, I think uh them building a business around that has been challenging over the years for multiple reasons. Um, I actually think what Eric and Dave 
have pulled together right now and what they're working on that I, I, I can't go too deep into, but where the future of this, uh, what the league is going to do is so crazy positive, is so good, um, and is kind of what is sort of needed to happen. Um, I think they're doing all the right things. Um, it's just, you know, people don't, um, people don't talk about this, but pro surfing was a nonprofit business. And it, it's, uh, you know, one year that I was on tour, um, you know, Greville Mitchell came in and had to fund the ASP. Um, and we, I think surfers didn't take prize money for the back half of the tour or we gave up. I think it was like a percentage of our prize money at every event to keep the tour going. People don't know those things. You know, um, the the fact that the Ziff family came in and have supported this thing and actually raised the level of not only the surf, you know, what you would expect, but the broadcast and, and the re- reliability. I mean, forget, like before, when we used to tune in, it was a different player. It wasn't that long ago wasn't that long ago it was like oh shoot i didn't download this player and it doesn't work on this and then i mean gosh i remember at trestles um you know we had to build the website and it broke and it's like you know it was all these things and we forget about those because we can get frustrated about whatever it is um, a judging call yes um but it's it's uh these guys are doing fantastic and um so you know i think Getting back to the question, I think the goal is the same as what everybody wants to see. They want to see undisputed world champions. They want to see um, the best waves and the best surfing all the time. Um, and I think that's what they're setting up to deliver. It, you know, we have to remember, like, all of last year and even this year is radically influenced by COVID. Um, you know, uh, those four events in Australia were absolutely incredible. Maybe not the don't line up to what I just said is best ways, best surfers. Um, but, s- you know, this is an anomaly. Uh, if the goal is best waves, best surfers for the organization, then why is there going to be an ABC show about the ultimate surfer? Like, so, how does that factor in? Yeah, I think it does. Um, and, and I think if you sort of, um, again, like put this, the tour as the, the thing that everything else spins around, it's the center of the universe for them. You know, people get a chance to be on tour. It actually highlights how important the world tour is. Um, I think the ABC show is fine. Like, I think it's, it's, so, so I'll play a different one. Okay. So we so long, like a long time ago when I was on tour, um, the, we were trying to get into the X Games. We got into the X Games, and then the ASP actually blocked us 48 hours before the X Games. And then, um, like, we all the Americans were actually like, okay, we either do the X Games or we're... And if we do the X Games, we're getting kicked off tour. But Kelly was doing it, so they weren't going to kick him off the tour. So I knew I was choosing the right side. <laughs> but the point was, is we, we were never on national TV. We weren't getting any attention. You know, people forget, like, okay, so... People are going to, ha- like, dig into this, you know, ABC show. It's on prime television. They're talking about surfing with a goal of being on this world tour. That's actually really positive. We could easily go back to the day where the surfing is so niche that only the 
you know, 15, 20 people that work in the industry actually care about it. Totally. And so I don't have a problem at all with them trying to do something different and actually expand the sport. Um, people dig in, say it's kooky and all that. I don't hey, worry about that. Yeah. It, it, I like, and, and I, I think you can, um, but I'm also like, Hey, like let's give it a shot. There's actual energy happening. Like people are doing stuff. I would be way more upset if the tour at this time who had a supporter like they do in Dirk and, and, you know, and they actually just did nothing. And they just said, Hey, we're just going to sit on our hands and, and do this thing because it's safe. Yeah. So that, that to me is like, that's, I guess I understand the argument you, that you just made like that um, ABC show will open up the audience. Certainly it'll surfing will now appeal to a bunch of new people who then ultimately might watch, like it'll grow viewership ultimately yep. for the WSL. But how does that relate to getting the best surfers in the best waves? Um, because, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I don't think that you need, I think it all fuels the, the, the thing like, it doesn't, that doesn't need to be uh, directed. I mean, ultimately, those people are competing to get onto the tour. Like, that's their goal. And so you've almost elevated this idea of being on the world tour. Most people probably who will watch this show have no idea that there's actually a tour that goes around from Tahiti to Australia to Fiji to Indian. Like, wait, what? Um I think them uh, just sort of elevating what it means to be on tour because that's why these people, these men and women, are competing on this show for a chance to live out their dream. I think that's kind of cool. Um, and again, is the tour is, is going to do what the tour is doing. You're just bringing more attention to it. We talk about the importance of salt being in the building. And so with the WSL, that's kind of... Like you really do want professionals running the business. I think yeah. that'll benefit the business. But at the same time, you want to make sure there's salt in the building to yep. kind of help guide to steer the ship. Um, you're salty. <laughs> and did, salty. Did you feel that you had influence over the organization, being the salt in the building? And um, yeah, I I think that there's this misconception that there's sort of, and I think it's understandable that there's like, let's just say there's a table on one side, there's the surfers, and then the other side, there's the business. And there's a, <laughs> a tug of war going on. Um, I never felt that. I, um, hey, in any competitive matter, Eric was not, never looking to say, dude, we're doing this. You know, he's he would look to me and go, dude, you tell me. You know this stuff. I don't. Um, I think that there is, like, a couple things that I... I would say um, most of the people in there are uh, they're really passionate about just doing the right thing. Um, and uh, I would say all of them actually. Um, so my conversations with, with Eric have always been super positive. He's never the one that's saying, Hey, like, I don't care. <laughs> I, I never heard this. I don't care what you say. This is what we're doing. That never happened. Um, there's a lot of, um, hey, can we try this? Can we try, you know, whatever. And it always passes by the sort of 
the you know and it and it's like Jesse it's with KP for a long time it's Renato it was myself um, hey is this a good idea is this a bad idea um, Dave is is a part of that as well um, and and again I'm going to flip it on the other side and say hey so conversely you could have a business that's just sort of boring and we're just going to be three to the beach because the con- the other side of it is hey, we just like the things the way they are, which isn't a good answer. Yeah, those aren't the only two sides. <laughs> I feel it. Like if we, if we put them at eight-foot cloud break, there's inherent drama. There's inherent, like the central drama there is man and woman versus nature. And then, of course, you have a competitor is the secondary thing, but I think that solves all the problems. I think that broadens the demographic of people who want to watch the thing. So let me ask you this. I got a question. Yeah. How many people should be on tour? Less than 32 males, I'd say. Why? I mean, 15. Uh, so you can run in one swell window, so you don't have to stick around for two weeks and have a lot of downtime in between events. You could also do the strike mission. You don't have to map them that far in advance. Um, and in any given event in the current kind of number Format. of... Yeah. There... We can identify who the top 10 finishers will be with probably a 90% accuracy, I would say. Do you think, um, so what about national diversity? Do you feel like it's important to have someone from Costa Rica, for example, or do you think that's not important? I think there needs to be an investment in the feeder system that gives those surfers an opportunity to get to that world tour level. Yeah. But I do not feel a need to mandate the diversity on the elite level. I think it can be a meritocracy, yeah. equal opportunity, but then, you know, meritocratic results. Do you feel like the tours need to be together? I don't. These are all conversations that we spent hundreds of hours, maybe exaggerating, but a lot of time talking about Um and there's some really good debates on both sides. That's why I'm asking. Um, I personally feel that it's important that the tour stays, and I, I battled this both sides. Um, I like the number where it's at. I understand the reason to go smaller. I played with both sides. Um, the reason that I sort of fall in line with it staying at 32 or 34 um, was based on just like, getting people from different countries. If we start to get this thing too tight, let's just say those top 10, we've excluded, we have a few Americans, maybe, right now, <laughs> barely an Australian. Yeah, I know. And Most Brazilians. And yeah. so, okay, so now we've really restricted that access so radically. And the other thing that happens is you start to just overlap people competing against each other every time. To where it is kind of nice to see a Liam O'Brien or someone kind of come through the field every now and again. So I'm not, I get the other side. I, I totally do. Um, I'm not sure the, f- and, and then I'll go into like how these events actually get paid for and this, that there's enough interest in what, what, laying out uh, a two-day event or a one-day event um, versus actually people being there and actually building some audience and stuff. 
um, I'm not sure that that actually pencils out. Again, that I don't wasn't, either. That yeah. wasn't my job. Yeah. But I, I, I definitely think there's a balance of those. And, and um, the idea today, and, and I, I think the other thing is there's a, a huge responsibility, I think, for those people in those roles. As you said, I believe super strongly that, you know, we've been talking about um, a, a, a revamped bud tour from back in the day. Those need to sprout up around the world because ultimately I think this national diversity is like really, really important. If we just keep going another 10 years and it's a bunch of Australians, a bunch of Americans, a bunch of Brazilians, it, it will lose steam a little bit. And, I, and the, the one thing that's really funny is that, you know, Fernando is going to do his ISA games in El Salvador. I'm really interested to see some of these other people surf. There's Olympic spots on the line. I think that's, I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and I just don't think you need to mandate. I don't think you need to mandate it, but I think you need to have it broad enough that you can bring a couple people in. I know, and that's where the feeder system is important, and investing in that, and that's probably a loss leader, to be honest. You know, that's hard thing to monetize if well, you do it right. Well, and that's why if you think about so, you know, people forget. We, we made a big change to the tour, um, and it is, you know, starts with uh, 34 men, 18 women, and after five events, a third of the field goes away, so it would be a field of 24 and 12. You know, it's a three-day event for the men and women moving into the back half. So, you know, they start, they go five events, you cut a third of it out, and all of a sudden you have a three-day event for the back half back five events, um, but you've kept the funnel wide enough at the front Yeah, actually allow some people to start. The other thing is, you know, you kind of have like, hey, the clock is ticking. You really don't have time for a bad result because right. all of a sudden now that qualification got moved into five events. So, again, we'll see. It could be a disaster. <laughs> I know. Um, and I level all of my criticism without any awareness of how things pencil out. Yeah. But I also kind of understand it seems like it hasn't penciled out great for the last 20 years. So why are we just trying to subtly tweak what hasn't penciled? Maybe a radical tweak. And I really felt like the COVID year was the year to really make some of those radical changes. And yeah. there could be an interim title maybe. And let's just get those top 10. Let's get them on a boat. Let's put them in you know, at can do or something and see what numbers that generates in terms of viewership. Cause it could be, well, I think there's a couple of things I think it's a pretty radical change. So if you think about what, uh, the 22 tour will be, if, because that will be the most pure, at least that was designed, you know, the tour will start in January, February and end in, in August, you know, August, September. Um, and then you kind of push the back half, which is the, the challenger. Um, you have a cut, and you have a world title event. Um, all of those are sort of radically new. Yeah. Um, and I think from a business standpoint, not my place to talk, but I actually do think it's pretty transformative for the business. Good. So um, I think that's a really positive one. Um, I appreciate you engaging in the conversation with the insights that you have. Yeah. Because... I'm the voice of the internet, so I'm trying to like no, synthesize and not, and look, a lot of the, what people do give as feedback, you know? Yeah, and I and I think, look, I'm I'm not um, 
I can't really speak for the WSL. Yeah. I can say that, you know, I'm like you where um, I'm, I want it to work I, I, and I, it will work. There's enough smart people. And I think um, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm not coming to their defense. It's more of just a rational, hey, there is another side of it. Um, and um, it's, you know, I think that the, you'd be surprised that everybody is pretty much on the same team doing, trying to do the, the right thing. Um, but there are different things that sort of come up and it's like, Hey, you know, like I said, it's like, Hey, they kind of have a great situation where, you know, Dirk is so supportive. Like they're not taking a business. I'll, I'll say this one last that was extremely successful yeah. before they're taking a business and actually trying they're trying to take something and actually make it a business. Um, and that's not, and, and, and still again is like when I, when I'd see people like, you know, the hate coming across, it's like, Hey, this is still free. Like this is free content. Like this is a pretty good product that you only have to engage on if you want to click yes or no. Yeah. And that's why I, the, the passion is great. But some of the negativity, I'm like, what was it like? Jesus. Yeah, the internet's gnarly. It's gnarly. I got a DM last night on Instagram. It was a reply to a story I posted on the podcast account. And he's like, get off Instagram and publish a podcast. I'm like, I'm, dude, I'm just, cranking out three a week. Like how much more? Do you, like what? And by the way, what you just said, it's free. It's free. Like, and I'm literally doing three a week. Like, are you crazy? You know? It's free. But, but thanks. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Um, final question as it relates to the WSL. Was your timing of your job change, was it related to this imminent opportunity with Florence Marine X, or was it related to something with the WSL? Uh, kind of a combo, but um, definitely related to this. Um I, you know, this is a, this is a huge opportunity. These are people that I love that I was really excited to do something with. Um, also, you know, I was driving to Santa Monica um, to work, uh, which is, you know, at least two and a half hours one way. Brutal. Um, and kind of looked at it going, hey, there's great people in that business. They, you know, they're going to be fine. Um, I probably don't want to do that drive. Um, that was, there was a bunch of things, but certainly this opportunity was exciting. Cool. Yeah. Um, a couple of wrap up questions just about you personally. What, uh, what's your current relationship like with surfing? How often are you surfing? All that sort of stuff. So my relationship with surfing is, uh, it's a love, love. Um, I surf every day. Good. Uh, good for you. I do. I, I, um, people in the office will, uh, tell you they, I'm, make people paddle out in really bad waves. It's easy when the waves are good. You don't have to make anybody do anything. Um, but I try to surf every day. Um, I surf with my son when he lets me take him, uh, which takes up, you know, most of my time. Uh, yeah. How old is he? He's six. Okay. Yeah. Did you see that 11-year-old do the flip in the pool? <laughs> it's crazy, dude. And did you see the Backside front flip? That, uh, Akira? Yeah, Jesus. Oh, my gosh. What a wonderful story, though. I loved her moxie to paddle up to Mick and be like, hey, I want to get into one of these. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. And Mick's like, yeah, let's sit next to me. Let's do this. Giddy up. How cool is that? He's such a good dude. That's and then she handled great. it. She handled it. She got 
She didn't just get a decent wave. That's the that's a way better wave than I've ever gotten in my life. For sure. That way better. Unbelievable. And she yeah. Yeah, it was unbelievable. That was rad. That's so amazing. Um so in terms of your surfing, I'm thrilled to hear that. Can I ask how old you are? 49. How do you maintain that, dude? What's your diet and exercise like? Are you dude, doing anything at all? No, I mean, look, we're it's we joke around all of our friends, you know, we're all getting everybody's getting older every day um but i you know i don't know i just i like to surf it makes me feel good um there's nothing else behind it i you know it's the one thing i can do in the day that i know that like changes my day um it makes me happy it sort of changes my mood um, and so I try to do it, you know, I'm, I'm out there every day outside of when I got stung by the stingray, I took two days off cause my foot was swollen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, especially now that the, you know, it's light longer, uh, the water's getting warmer. It makes it easy. Are you doing any sort of, um, exercise regime other just than stretching? Good for you. And what's your stretch routine? Is Five it? Five minutes of just yoga. Pigeon. Oh, okay. Because Open up the I hips. really tight hips. Okay. Um, but I'm not good with that. I'm so bad at like, I look at Taylor and like freaking Kelly looks like he's 15. Like Jesus. Is Um, that diet related? You think? Yeah. And I go to an office in the day. That'll zap the life out of you. Well, fluorescent lights will do it actually. It's really easy to be super fit when you just get to go golf and surf all day. That's a good point. Yeah. (laughs) I think diet has a lot. I'm learning. Well, in through my mid to late thirties, I'm learning diet has a tremendous amount to do. It does. It's also, you can make better decisions when you're out doing fun things, playing golf and surfing. It's like, you just, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't think about eating. Right. Right. Until it's like, Oh, I'm hungry. I'll eat a little thing. Yeah. When you're around work, I'm like nervous energy. I'm eating food all day. Are you, are you into wine? I love wine. Uh, how serious are you into it? Like, what are you into? So I sort of quit during week but i'm as far as i'm not a pro are you collecting are you uh not quite okay why you're you're uh, i used to work in the wine business did you yeah so So i was super into it for a good good while so good friend of mine rob wilson uh opened up a restaurant called glass bar in dana point um and so i uh i invested a very small bit but what it does allow me to do is go to the wine parties and buy wine for dinner. So that's nice. Wholesale price from the distributors? Yes. So the, the restaurant has, like, literally, he has impeccable taste. And so I just literally follow him around, kind of like the girl in McFanning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get his scraps. Um, when I worked in the business, we had, you know, those distributors coming by, those sales reps. Yep. They each have a bag of 10 wines, and they want to see you, you know, at least once a week. And there's 20 of them. And so you schedule appointments. You're like, all right, yeah, 1030 with Southern Wine and then 11 with Young's and then Wine Warehouse, 1130. I had, I started a blog at the time just to track, to, yeah, chronicle all the wines that I was tasting on a given day. Yeah. And you're spitting everything, of course. Yeah, because you got to run. you're drunk. And you got to run the business and stuff. But I, I was tasting 300 wines a week. You've got to be kidding. No. For a good period of time. And I knew it was a lot, but then I like started chronicling it. And Who it was. Were you buying for? I had, so I worked at a retail shop in Long Beach. And then I opened my own retail shop 
Um, no way. Yeah. So, so is retail. So retail, you do a lot more volume than yeah, restaurants. Restaurant. Like yeah. restaurant has a 20 or 30 or whatever wine numbers on the list, but retail, you got hundreds, you know? So, I mean, 300 wines a week, if you can imagine that. So not, not ever getting drunk, but your, um, acumen gets so sharp, you know, it's like, you pick it up quick. Yeah. You know, exactly what Rhone Syrah tastes like, or, you know, Bordeaux tastes like or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, don't take it nearly as seriously at this point in my life. Can you still drink a shitty bottle of wine and feel it's okay? No, you can't. The great news for the consumer is there's no high wine. quality $10 wines now. Like the overall quality has gone through the roof, mm -hmm. through modernization and um, like winery cleanliness and the way that they make the wines, you know. It used to be, you know, if the winery wasn't clean, there could be a taint, a funk that, infects the wine and the wines taste off. Now everything's so sterilized that if you just crush Yeah, if you just grow if you're in a wine growing region in the world and you grow decent fruit, crush it, get out of the way, put it in a bottle. You know, that's all you really need. Wait, really? So yeah. Like ten dollar um, Malbecs coming from Argentina, those things are phenomenal. Argentina's always been so expensive for those wines too. It's crazy. We um Derek O'Neill, um, who he was running Billabong at the time. I was with uh, Shane and Lisa. He had us over, and he opened a Chateau Margaux. And today, I can, I, I was like, that was the day. I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah. It actually the, the wine evaporated on my tongue, and I was like, dude, what is that? Yeah. And Do you have any idea what vintage it was? I don't. But I actually drove to Chateau Margaux because I'm like. Just okay. to take a photo. I got to see this place. And they, it was, I couldn't go in. I was just looking at me. Yep. Yeah. They don't let you in. No. Um, I had the similar experience. I was working at a restaurant when I was, you know, whatever, 21 or something. And uh, yeah, customer brought, it was a nicer restaurant. A customer brought like a really nice bottle and I didn't know what it was at the time, but I took it home at the end of the night so I could like look it up on the internet and it was $5,000 <gasps> a bottle, <laughs> but he let me have a glass of it. <gasps> So I was a server and I showed some interest and he's like, oh yeah, you can have some 2000 vintage, uh, domain Romani Conti in Burgundy yep. DRC. Yeah. And the vineyard site is Eshazo. So you can look it up. I don't know what the price is now, but, um, 2000 was like a really, I, I remember stellar that. vintage. Yeah. Yeah. In France specifically. But yeah, I was like, I didn't know the price. I didn't know what the bottle was. He just like, oh, you can have a sip. And it was the same thing that you're talking about where I drank it and I just go, huh, that's entirely different. Like that is, doesn't taste like anything I've ever put in my mouth, food, wine, otherwise. That's just totally a different ethereal kind of experience. I want to look this up, you know? And I go home and look it up and I'm just like, oh shoot. And then it was just a rabbit hole, you know? It's crazy, right? Yeah, it is. It, yeah, good wine. But yeah, in terms of diet, you know, it's like. <laughs> I quit, I quit weekdays. Smart. Um, whose boards are you writing? Final question. So I ride uh, a lot of Timmy Patterson's and I ride John Pizel's. I just depends, you know. Um, I rode Timmy since I was a little kid and he's um, unbelievable and rad. And um, I started getting some Pizel's when I would go to Hawaii and the boards work so good. I'm like, oh my God, like, where have you been? You know, and so uh, it's been really fun. Um, I have a couple boards from Akila Ipa. He made yep. a couple Clint Fins that feel insane. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I What'd rode, you ride today? I rode Timmy Patterson. It was pretty cool. I rode the 84 synthetic is the one that um, Italo has been riding. 
Oh, okay. I and don't know. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really really neat board. It's actually the one he jumped on. Um, oh, okay. not my specific board, but that was the model. <laughs> right, right. Um, but uh, it's actually a pretty funny story. It's like Timmy made it, and uh, there's, you know, he got one before he went to Australia. He's like, oh my god, I need more, and so he just fired off a bunch of them, and so. Um, they're just really easy to, super easy board to ride. And so, um, yeah, they're really fun, especially for around here. Why is it called 84 Synthetic? Because it's, uh, so Timmy's surfboard label was a synthetic back in 1984. That's how he started. Um, and it's a bit of an 80s model. It's, okay. It has a bit of a beak. Um, and it's like this sort of flat deck with um, sort of a thin, yeah, it's a really interesting board. Um there's that 80, uh, might have been 84 also, the Aki model that Rusty reintroduced a couple years ago. Super similar. Okay. Except the those ones, Rusty would carry some more foam onto the rail. This has way less foam on the rail, but there's a bit of a deck. Yeah, that flat deck. I can't even imagine Idolo riding that board, or it doesn't look visually like that, so that's it interesting. It, it sort of hides it. He also has a lot of stickers on his board. He does, and I feel like the rails are even colored yes so it does hide it yeah that's funny it's funny when you put a lot of stickers on a board it actually changes the look of the board it totally does yeah. it'll trip me out if the logo's even in the the shapers logo i'll get a new board and i'm just like i don't know about that that looks wrong to me Isn't that funny even though it's the exact right dimensions and everything it just i don't know sometimes get in my head sticker too big it bums you out it's yeah like, exactly dude i just realized i forgot to give you a gift um i've got two gifts i know this is about florence Florence, if anybody wants to dress like John John, they should wear Florence Marine X. But if you want to dress dress like Pat O'Connell, you could shop in our merch store. There's the those are awesome Clark Foam Clark knockoff Foam. logo. Thank you. What medium? Yep, that's perfect. And uh, Ooh, these are nice. And the cutoff. Can I ask you where you manufactured these t-shirts? Yes, I can. Or <laughs> yes, you can. I'll tell you. Uh, the Valpocalypse now. Wow. Cut off tea. Oh my god! <laughs> to defend against any of the Henri vowels that show up at Creek. Oh my god! You can flex on them. That is so good. <laughs> you like yeah, that? There's not much flexing at five six <laughs> that I can do, but maybe with this T-shirt, it'll help me. Exactly. They'll they'll feel intimidated by the Valpocalypse logo. Epic. Thank so, you. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a pretty uh, aggressive design there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got to fend off the, the vowels, dude. Um, final thing I will tell you, yeah. it's worth mentioning on air. When I was a kid, I'd seen The Endless Summer too. I think I rented it from wherever. And um, I was going to go buy, I saved up 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. I was going to go buy my first surf video. Went to Harbor Surfboards in Seal Beach. Uh -huh. Ended up not buying The Endless Summer too because I knew it was available for rent. So I ended up buying Jacked, which was a Tony Roberts O'Neill film. Roberts, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, but when I was watching Endless Summer 2, I was just getting into surfing and you did this backside floater. And so, I don't know if it was Costa Rica or Nicaragua. It might've been Costa Rica. And I was, I was telling my dad, my dad doesn't surf or anything, but I was just like, man, I don't get it. He like, he's at the bottom of the wave and he like ollies up onto the roof of the wave. It wasn't just like a floater that you transition onto. It was like you ollied from the trough up to the top. And I was like, I don't know how you would even do that. Like, and my dad's like, I don't know. If man. if that's what he's doing, that's what you got to do. You got to ollie up there. And I was like, all right, cool. Oh, so God. yeah, that backside floater was like what I was committed to for the next summer of trying to do. Rusty made me a board 
that um, a replica of those boards, and they're not even two inches thick. I believe that, yeah. You cannot believe how skinny those I just look at those and be like, there's no way. I couldn't get to my feet on that now. Yeah. That's what I grew up right. I mean, that we all did. hindered my surfing so drastically. That's why today, like, again, surfing is blowing up, is you can ride anything. Yeah. There's a billion boards that, out, that are out there that are great. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I'm still trying to perfect that backside floater, by the way. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, Pat. Cheers. Thank you. You'll always have smokes if you always give buckets of love. Like Lil' Sad Tatter was living on Beatles and drugs. He had a blue-eyed mom and lived an Indian girl. Lived alone in the warm white fields in his corner of the world. Thank you, Pat O'Connell. I really appreciate your candor in regard to the WSL and your insights in regards to Florence Marine X. Florence Marine X is offering all of our listeners free shipping on their first order. You can get that benefit by using the promo code SURFSPLENDOR, all one word. It's also without the U. Uh, It's the American spelling. So SURFSPLENDOR, S-P-E-N-D-O-R. Surf Splendor is the promo code. Florence Marine X is the website. If you've been checking out their clothing, you can benefit from free shipping on that first order. I've linked to it on surfsplendorpodcast.com along with everything else that Pat and I discussed, including some old footage of him surfing. It's always great to see Pat surf. Of course, he's still ripping and uh, surfing every day, which is fantastic to hear and aspirational for me as life gets uh, increasingly busy with responsibility so thanks for that pat and uh thank you to all of you listeners who support our work here with a five dollar monthly donation of course you will be entered to win the channel islands too happy built to your specs by the crew at channel islands so we're going to do that giveaway on july 1st everybody who supports this network uh through the month of june will be included in that you can do that of course on our website so thank you for that this is of course david scales for surf splendor I'll be back next week with an all-new episode, but until then, I am reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and of course, shred on. You won't lose the beat if you just keep clapping your hands. Like sweet, sweet beat clap for the ruminant bay.